Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 10 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and metal guide on this spirit journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Gil Sharon of Stolen Babies, Marilyn Manson, formerly of Dillinger's Escape Plan, and so much more, discusses his first band, and I recommend the latest from the band, End My Sorrow. Up first, I interview Vicky of Canada's The Agonist. We discuss the band's latest album, Five, which is her second album with the band and the fifth album of the band overall. We also discuss adapting to the touring lifestyle, her YouTube channel, and more. Before we dive in, here's some of the moment from that album, Five. I'm speaking with Vicky Sarakis of the uh, the Agonist. Am I pronouncing your last name right? First of all, um, actually, it's Sarakis. Sarakis. Close enough. <laughs> Sorry, didn't have the right emphasis. Um, you guys are out promoting your second album. Well, your second album with the band, the band's fifth overall five. Uh, how is writing the second album with them different than your your first go around with them? Um, it was definitely a lot more comfortable this time around because um, the feeling of being the new girl or a new member to a band in general uh, was completely gone. So this time around, it was just about creating another album and creating music. And it was just a very natural process. It wasn't rushed. And it felt like a lot of the ideas that came out were a lot closer to who I am as a musician. Uh, did you feel like you were trying to prove something last time that you've gotten down this time since you said it felt more like natural as you? Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily about trying to prove something. It was more like trying to please everyone because I I had to keep in mind, you know, the existing fan base of the, of the band and their previous material and not necessarily copy it, you know, or try to do something that fans would expect but i i did think of it you know to try to do something in the middle something that's me but something that's also um something that the fans would enjoy let's say and I, i've read that you are from chicago but the band uh, is from canada did you relocate when you joined the band yes actually uh, at the time when they found me on youtube i was in greece living so i had to fly from greece to montreal canada but uh, right now i'm living in chicago so it's a lot of back and forth for me how has uh how is moving to canada overall just a different landscape i'm assuming yeah yeah for sure it was good timing actually because at that time when i was in greece i was actually planning to move to chicago Uh, just like a year later, let's say, but then I was contacted by the band and I just rushed everything and left sooner than I expected. (laughs) Uh, Were you in any bands previously before The Agonist? Not any full-time bands. It was mostly a lot of like personal projects, for instance, or um, like a session musician or vocalist and other projects but not anything you know full-time like the agonist 
So you didn't do much touring before before this band? No, I, I had done one tour, a European tour as a backing vocalist, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> How has uh, adapting to full-on touring life been for you? It's been pretty smooth, actually. Um, it's, you know, like they say, the touring lifestyle isn't for everyone because, you know, aside from playing the shows, there's a lot of things that are different than, you know, just being at your home and going to work and then coming back to your house and whatever. And sometimes it can be really difficult, you know, just in terms of sleeping conditions or showering conditions or whatever. And uh, like I said, it's not for everyone, but um, I'd like to think I'm an easygoing person and the guys in the band too, they're, they're pretty chill when it comes to, you know, their requirements, I guess. We're not, you know, high-maintenance people, so we definitely have time on have a good time on tour, and we just want to do it as much as possible. That's that's really good to hear, because I have talked to some folks that just, like, their first tour, and they're already kind of over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, because, like, I guess a lot of people don't know what touring would be like. They don't know what to expect, and they only think about the show part, which is obviously great every time, and, you know, it makes up... The actual show makes up for all the other, you know, shit you have to deal with, I guess, on the road. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a lot of people going on their first tour, they they haven't prepared themselves mentally for, you know, what to expect. Now, I realize that Canada isn't a crazy far off foreign distant land, but have you ever had any... Um, uh, like anything lost in translation with the guys because what immediately comes to mind is the song the trial from the new record it includes the phrase plead the fifth and i don't i don't is that a universal phrase now because that's in reference to an amendment Um, right that's true but it's i think because it's like in so many movies or shows you know especially like criminal movies or law movies or whatever i think it's a term that maybe a lot of people know by now um and the thing is most canadians are very um informed in regards to the u.s i guess because of neighboring countries and just uh you know a lot of u.s politics or whatever they're on tv all the time and the news media so especially a country like canada it's, it's very well informed yeah. and um yeah also another thing i was going to say that montreal is a bilingual city it's it's mostly french but uh everyone in the band almost everyone in the band is english first and and then french so there's not really a language barrier between us Alrighty, i, I didn't imagine there'd be a language barrier but like there's like little things here and there but uh you're absolutely right yeah, as, yeah. as far as like canadians being up on what we're up to i mm-hmm. listen to some canadian podcasts and they make me feel stupid sometimes about our own policies um <laughs> so coming back to the new record a little bit, the the song Raven, the Raven's Eye, I felt like showcased a different side of the band that was kind of jazzy or bluesy. What uh, what made that song come come to be, and like who were you like influenced by specifically for your vocal performance? Um, well, the thing with that song, it was kind of a last minute thing. It was about I don't know two weeks before we were flying out to LA to record our album. And Danny emailed me this 
acoustic track on his guitar that he was playing, like recorded on the phone, sent it to me. And when I heard it, I I instantly knew that it needed obviously vocals, <laughs> but it also needed like more stuff because we did we did an acoustic track on I Have Providence where it's just guitar and vocals. It's a lot softer, but I felt like because of the darkness of the chords, I guess, and the guitar and the quirkiness and the jazz vibe, I guess, that you uh, mentioned, it needed like piano or stranger, string arrangement or whatever. And I instantly worked on vocals and some of that piano and, and strings and whatever. And then we took the track to LA where, and we had um, the great pleasure of working with Igor, who was a string arranger in LA and he's incredible. And when he heard the track, he was like instantly inspired. He he felt like a sort of James Bond vibe to it. So he took um, our arrangement and he just like added more layers to it. And it turned out to be the song as it is right now. Um, and as far as the vocals, it was just, uh, it's just the, the first idea that came to mind. Because the way I work in general with vocals, it's like I'll hear the song, I'll hear the music. And I'll sing like the first thing that comes to mind, and most of the times it's good. It's, it's the idea I end up, you know, keeping and working with. And if it's not good, I'll just scratch it and like listen to the song another day and think of something different. But with Raven Eyes, it was everything just worked well, you know, on the first try. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the record as a whole kind of feels like there's themes that come up, either musical themes or like lyrical themes. Would you call it a concept record? It is and it isn't. Um, it's not a concept album in, you know, in the aspect that every song is connected and all the songs revolve around one general theme. Um, but it is in the sense of like the storytelling vibe. And every story, I mean, every lyric on the album is written in a way where it seems like we're, we're trying to tell a story. So I guess in that sense, you could say it's a concept album. And um, there are some songs that are linked lyrically. Like, for instance, Raven Eyes and The Trial, they're, they're linked. They're talking about the same subject. I'll have more of the Vicky from The Agonist in just a moment. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, Gil Schroen of Stolen Babies, Marilyn Manson, and more discusses his metal origins. I spoke with Gil in 2012. This is my first band. Yeah, well, our first band was called The Fratellis, and, um, you know, just sum up what we were musically. Um, 
we were a 10-piece band, and that was just really the instrumentalist. I mean, you know, we had we had additional musicians come and go, but, um, you know, we had a full horn section, clarinet, sax, trombone, trumpet, sometimes doubles on each instrument, and, you know, keyboard, bass drums, you know, your rhythm section and vocals. But with us, the Fratellis was, was primarily an instrumental, you know, it wasn't that much vocal. So, you know, when Dominique would hear the music, I'd bring in for a song, and, you know, she had the vision and the creative, um, I guess, uh, impetus to be like, hey, you know, let's, let's do some theatrical this stuff. This stuff sounds like cartoon music. You know, that's just what it is. And really, it's what it was. I mean, it was really polystylistic. It was really kind of jazzy, kind of based in, in, in the sense that it swung a lot. You know, there wasn't a lot of rock stuff. It was more in, in like cartoon music, you know, Carl Stalling, Raymond Scott, those were, those were our heroes. That's where we were coming from. I mean, whenever we would play live, a lot of people would say, hey, do you like Frank Zappa? Do you like, you know, Mr. Bungle and stuff like that? And you know, of course, but, uh, we, you know, that was just more we were aware of, not really trying to be like it. Um, we really were just coming from like, I'm just right cartoon music and, have a theatrical element where um, when Dominique wasn't singing, there was this this a plot line or, or story that was um, acted out live with either puppets or actors, people in costumes. And uh, when Dominique wasn't singing or playing accordion, she was, you know, part of this kid. And just to kind of maybe answer another question you may have asked, is where we got our name, you know, one of our songs in the Fratelli's was called Stolen Babies. And it was uh, this theatrical piece that was um, you know, had a story it was about, you know, this witch that, you know, stole babies and detectives had to solve the case of the stolen babies and and that kind of stuff and when the Fratellis kind of fizzled away and we were just, you know, playing as stripped down like five piece band, um, you know, we, we didn't know what to expect, how far we'd take it or whatever. We were just playing for fun and we needed a name. So, um, you know, stolen babies came up just from holding on to something from our past and uh, it stuck. So, uh, yeah, that, that's about that. That was Splatter from Stolen Babies from their album Not. Gil is currently out on the road with Marilyn Manson, and frankly, I don't know what's up with Stolen Babies, but I'd sure love a lot more of them. Here are some of The Raven's Eyes from The Agonist before I wrap up with Vicky. Salvation always has a
Um, you're you're pretty well known for your YouTube channel as well that has quite of a, a wide variety of vocal covers. Um, has there mm-hmm. ever been somebody that you just couldn't like record to your own liking? Like, uh, I, for example, I talked to Mike Semeski from Ordnance and various other projects, and he loves Adam Lambert, but never took on Adam Lambert. Do you have anybody of that sort? You mean like a vocalist I really like, but I I can't. For some like reason, I couldn't vocally. You know, you you that even do you, it, I guess. even you feel like you wouldn't do them justice or someone like someone who's untouchable. Right. Um. I don't know. It's like to be honest, a lot of the covers that I've done on my YouTube channel, they're not necessarily vocalists that are like my favorite because. Uh, the way I was thinking when I was doing covers, it was mostly about tackling songs that I could benefit from or I could learn something. So that's why a lot of my covers are for male vocalists because, you know, as a girl, it's, it's easier to sing a song that's written for a girl, you know. And um, cover after cover, I would keep improving because I'd be tackling things that are challenging and, and demanding for me at the time. Um but in terms of like some particular vocalist being untouchable it's like i feel like it's mostly a respect thing and not hitting the notes sort of thing like you know a lot of people say that you you shouldn't cover queen for instance it's not because you can't sing queen because you probably could but it's just a respect thing and it's just how people's brains are so used to listening to a song you know with freddie mercury that they probably just don't want to hear it with a different vocalist. <laughs> that makes sense. All right. Um, yeah, yeah. And on your Facebook fan page, there lists a silly, uh, not a silly, that's absolutely the wrong word, a solid group of uh, influences, <laughs> and one of which that stuck out was Sting. Uh, were you able to catch his latest tour mm-hmm. with Peter Gabriel? Uh, unfortunately not. <laughs> Me neither. It's been like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's difficult because, like, I've noticed the best shows that are either in Chicago or in Montreal are when I'm not in one of those cities. Like, I'm either on tour or I'm in a different city. Um, But, yeah, like, I do hope to see him live one day. I haven't yet. And the thing I I love about Sting is that he always has a great band. Like, he gets the best musicians and just does a great live show. What are some of your favorite songs or albums of his? Because um, yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Peter Gabriel. Good. I'm a huge Peter Gabriel fan, and I'm not that mm-hmm. familiar with Sting, so like, I, you know, that's kind of I'm completely ignorant of that. So I'm kind of looking for recommendations. Oh, okay. Well, what are the songs that you do know? <laughs> uh, by Sting, I know his most famous police songs, and then maybe Desert Rose and some Christmas song? Yeah. That kind of like hopping, yeah. sounds like hopping through Christmas yeah. fields. Well, I, like Desert Rose is probably one of his, his yeah, his most famous song, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like other big songs are Englishman in New York or Shape of My Heart or Fragile. Um, and then, I don't know, I like... I'm just trying to think of songs here. Um, it's probably me, Moon Over Bourbon Street. Um, oh, there's a lot. And it's not like he has, like, 
a lot of albums as a solo artist. Like, yeah, if you put Police in there, um, you'll you'll get a lot of albums. But I think his personal albums aren't that many. Okay. Uh, coming back to cover. And, Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say that it's always worth um, listening to like live albums or live recordings because he changes the instrumentations based on the musicians that he has with him on tour. So it's like listening to a different song almost. That's really cool. I did not know that about him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like for instance, if I'm um, sorry, no, please. <laughs> I was gonna say that like if on the album he has like I don't know violin solo, and he doesn't have a violinist on tour, he'll give that solo to like a different instrument. Basically, that's what I meant. Still, it's it's cool to hear just a different take, even if it's something like one instrument different from an artist. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your your solo covers seem to have taken a backseat, understandably, to your work with the Agonist, but the band just released a cover of Take Me to Church, the Hosier song. Does the song lyrically relate to the concept, the loose concept of five, or is it just a fun thing to do, or am I just completely overthinking a band doing a cover? <laughs> uh, well, it, it doesn't tie into our concept, but the lyrics were important to us in the sense that when we were trying to find a cover to, you know, to do, uh, we were looking at a lot of mainstream songs that are on the radio right now, and, you know, people outside the metal genre know. And it was really hard to find something because, mostly of, because of the lyrics, because you know how pop songs are. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So when we listen to Taking a Turd, they have like the lyrics have this sort of darkness to them where it kind of makes sense for a metal band to cover the song so that was all really behind it and then it was also napalm that suggested for us to do a cover so that it could be on the album so we just kind of pushed ourselves to find a song and and do it <laughs> is it the kind of thing that will be on this upcoming tour with epica flesh god apocalypse and zandria or is this going to be strictly on the record um, we might play it live one day. We're definitely not going to play it on the Epica tour because we're the opening band, and we're, we're probably going to have like a thirty-minute set. Understand. So it just it makes yeah, it makes sense to play original songs, but maybe like in upcoming headline tours where we'll be playing for more than an hour, maybe we we might play it. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I know you fielded a question about this in a different interview, but regarding. And it's a silly topic. The fact that somebody thought you weren't you in the recent photos of the agonist. <laughs> so now I'm not even concerned about that. Although I did come across that while looking at some of these photos, there is a photo where you are front and center. The guys are behind you. There's either a white background or there's like some kind of overlay over the white and they all have their arms up slightly. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> well, that was just based on our album cover. Like, if you notice the character on the cover, he has his arms sort of like that. So okay, kinda... <laughs> I did not notice yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, because that picture is—it's just for our album. It's like in the album booklet, like in the vinyl or whatever. And so we took that picture, you know, to fit it in in the album. 
it's not just like a, a typical band promotional shot. Okay, that that makes a lot of sense then. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna slowly wind wind us down here. Um, your fan page also featured some photos of you hiking around the time of recording the album in Calabasas. Is this a, a favorite hobby of yours? Uh, yes and no. It depends where I am because usually I'm in the city and there's there's nowhere to hike. <laughs> like I'll go on walks, but it's not as inspirational, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, where we were living in LA, it was just the landscape was very beautiful, and there were mountains like right next to us. So I unfortunately got to go only on two hikes because you know my vocal the vocal recording process takes longer than the instruments. So um, it, it was fun. It was very challenging. I think it took like three hours maybe, but once you're at the top and you can see the whole city, it's like very beautiful. And it's almost cliche to recommend it, but if you ever have the chance, or if you've done it before, uh, Yosemite. If you have guys ever have an off day going from SoCal to Northern California and you can go there, I highly recommend it. Just because you'll, okay. you'll get your inspiration. It's like, like I said, it's it definitely has a core area that's like really kind of catered to people that don't like hiking, but it's still mm-hmm. just a beautiful, beautiful place. All right, I'll keep it in mind. Thanks. <laughs> of course. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Uh, five drops next Friday, the thirtieth. Correct? Yes. All right. Yeah. Friday the thirtieth. Cool. Well, enjoy the rest of your day. I'm I'm assuming you have a lot more chats like this. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so- sorry, but thank you. <laughs> Oh, no. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> All right. You have a good one. Bye. You too. Bye-bye. Five by the Agonist was released on September 30th via Napalm Records. The band is about to hit the road with Epica, Flesh God Apocalypse, and Arcona. For dates and more information, head to theagonistband.com and facebook.com slash theagonistofficial. I like to end each episode with a recommendation of a band you may or may not know about. In this episode, I'm recommending End My Sorrow. They're a melodic metal band from Denmark, and they're about to release their debut self-released album of Ghostly Echoes on November 25th. From that album, here is Broken.
for more End My Sorrow, head to facebook.com slash endmysorrow. That does it for this episode. If you want to follow the show, you can do so at facebook.com slash farbeyondmetal. I'm on Twitter at Ovacord. You can email me at farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. And as always, the theme is Far Beyond Metal by Strapping Young Lad from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thank you for listening. A Catbox Production.